Amen. If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me to the book of Acts, and let's go to chapter 7, verses 1 through 36. Stephen, strong witness, and we're going to look at part one this morning. And so Stephen, the first deacon of the church, has been arrested by the religious sect of the Jews. They were called the Sanhedrin. The word Sanhedrin means consul or the assembly. Uh, They were the 71 elect of Israel. Basically, they operated in the rules and the regulations for the Jewish people concerning uh, the civil and the religious authority. The problem was they did not accomplish in their own lives what they told the people of Israel to accomplish. They were supposed to speak uh, for God. They were supposed to lead the people to God. But many times they did the complete opposite. And so we need to address this this morning. If you're taking notes, we don't have time to go to these two chapters. I'd love for you to study Jeremiah chapter 23. And then Matthew chapter 23. I've always found it uh, beautiful because they're both uh, the 23rd chapter. When you go to Jeremiah chapter 23 in the Old Testament, Jeremiah uh, is dealing with the false prophets at the time. He calls them the lying prophets. And so then we see the parallel in Matthew chapter 23 where Jesus calls out woes against the religious sect in the New Testament. The Sanhedrin, the 71 elect, consisted of Pharisees, scribes, and the Sadducees. And Jesus often uh, referred to the Sanhedrin as the hypocrites, uh, the hypocritos, or the actors. They were saying one thing, and they were doing another. And now, Stephen, this deacon of the church, is a servant of the Lord. He was appointed last week. He's arrested because of Christ, because of his belief system, because he was teaching in the name of Christ. In a sense, they couldn't get a hold of Peter and John, but now they got Stephen. But Stephen, in his defense, takes them through the Old Testament all the way up to the present. It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, teaching of history. Now, those of us that have been coming On Wednesday nights, uh, we have been through the five books of Moses, and we have been through uh, the book of Judges, and now we're in the book of Ruth, and then we're coming into 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. So we see the history, the history of Israel. It's very important to me. It should be very important to you. So many times we say, well, let's just study the New Testament. It's too difficult to to read through the Old Testament. You will find if you get a hold of a nice translation, I'm not against uh, the NIV and I'm not against the New Living Translations when it comes to reading. Because you want to glean, you want to read. And so many times in the King James, we struggle with the words that come forth. And then the New King James sometimes will stumble us also. And that's why we teach the Word of God and make application after we explain uh, the text. And so be encouraged in the Old Testament. And so here's Stephen now, a strong witness, 
before the consul. Look at verse 1. Then the high priest said, Are these things so? They're speaking directly to Stephen. Are these things so? If you go back up to Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15 last week, he was accused of blasphemy. The Greek word, uh, he was blaspheming to speak evil against the sacred things, the holy things. In the New Testament, uh, we understand to speak against uh, evil against God or against his word. And Stephen spoke about Jesus. Stephen did not do this, but the religious set could not handle it. This is why he's on trial. And we see in third world countries today, many that are on trial for exactly the same thing, for what they believe. And we have the freedom in Christ here in our United States of America. But uh, let me put this to the test. How much longer are we going to be able to have that freedom? It could easily change here. Look at verse 2 now. And he says to them, I want you to see the attention span that he has on these guys. Brethren, fathers, listen. And what a command. Here's a deacon talking to the religious sect, the men of renown, the men of wisdom and knowledge. And he's on trial. And he says to them, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. And so the Holy Spirit asked Stephen to give this testimony from the time of the Old Testament. He goes back to the patriarchs. He goes back to the beginning of the nation of Israel. Here, uh, he goes back to the root, starting with Abraham, then Isaac, and then Jacob. This goes on for the 60 verses in Acts chapter 7. Something beautiful to comprehend here as we begin. Stephen's testimony was so powerful. These men, these 71 elect, especially uh, Annas and Caiaphas, uh, the high priests at the time, they usually did not put up with this. But I want you to see that 60 verses, Stephen has their attention. They're listening. They're not liking it, but they're listening. And then Stephen has to give up the ghost. I believe in his heart he knew that his time was short. You know, it's just like us. How much time do we have? In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it tells us uh, there is an appointed time for each and every one of us. And then the judgment. Each one will stand. Uh, before their maker one day. And so here's Stephen, given this beautiful, beautiful message. Remember that Stephen means crown. He takes them back to Genesis. Uh, if you're taking notes, you can just follow with me. In Genesis chapter 11, verses 31 through 32, and, and basically we follow Abraham's life all the way from uh, Genesis 11, it begins, and it takes you to uh, Genesis chapter 12. And then in verse 25, his death. Verse 31 of Genesis 11, And Terah took uh, his son Abram, this is before his name was changed, and his grandson Lot, uh, the son of Haran, and the daughter-in-law Sarai, before her name was changed to Sarah. His son Abram, his wife, this is Sarai, and they went out with them 
from Ur of the Chaldeans uh, to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and they dwelt there. The land of the Chaldeans is where they spoke Chaldean, but later they speak Aramaic. What we're seeing here is God developing a nation. God's developing a nation. It's the nation of Israel. And Abraham has such a strong part in it. And so here's Stephen giving testimony. One more verse in Genesis 11, verse 32 now. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. And now Abraham, the Holy Spirit has him to move. And so we see the faith of Abraham. Uh, he's a, not a young man, but yet he's listening to God. And yet they were living in a heathen nation. But when you go back and study Hebrews chapter 11, we see Abraham and Sarah in this great chapter. Hebrews 11, if you've never studied it, never read it, it's called the faith chapter. And when you go there, you'll find that uh, the writer of Hebrews spends time speaking about this faith of Abraham and Sarah. God used them mightily, but he was beginning to start a nation. Let's go back to our text. Look at verse 3 uh, as we continue in the book of Acts. And he said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Listen to the faith factor. Leave your country. Leave everything. And follow me. And that's basically what God calls each and every one of us to do. Now Abraham is promised the land of milk and honey, but he never goes there. But yet God in the covenant made such a promise. The faith factor of this man. This took faith to leave. In verse 4, then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans, and he dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. He's talking about Judah. He's talking about Israel. Notice that they say nothing to Stephen again. He said to them, listen. He's taking command of the situation. Until his time is spent. In verse 5, and God gave him a no inheritance. Speaking about Abraham. He's the father of a nation. Everybody looks up to Abraham, including the Arabs and the Jews especially. And yet this man never had an inheritance. Those of you coming on Wednesday nights, uh, we've been speaking about the inheritance. Speaking about the 12 tribes. And even the Levites they didn't own land, uh, but they were given cities and they were given refuge. And, and the people uh, brought them in because they were the priesthood. But here's Abraham. Never had a place that he could call his own. God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on it. But even when Abraham had no child, speaking about Isaac eventually, he promised to give to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. Abraham steps out by faith. Now we know the story of Abraham and Sarah. Uh, they could not have any children. And they exhausted everything humanly possible uh, to have a child. 
uh, basically menopause had come and gone, both for uh, Abraham and Sarah. And the angel of the Lord speaks to them and said, this time next year, Sarah will be with child. Now, I want you to pick up on this if you don't know it. Sarah is 90 years old, and she looks over at Abraham. He's 99 years old. And God said, this time next year, you'll be with child. The Bible says that she laughed. And I could just see Sarah laughing. Oh, Lord, thank you for the compliment, Lord. Thank you for, I've been praying for a child, but I love my husband, but he's burned out. This guy can't do what needs to be done. And yet God gave them Isaac. You know what's a beautiful translation there? Every time she saw Isaac, in the Hebrew, it means laughter. Oh, Lord, I remember the day I laughed. I remember the day that I chuckled. I remember the day that I possibly questioned you, Lord. And so he's giving such a testimony. Look at verse 6. God spoke in this way. That his descendants, speaking about Abraham, would dwell in a foreign land. And that they would bring them uh, in bondage and oppress them for 400 years. Now we know uh, that the children of Israel, eventually Jacob and his sons and his families. There were 71, 70 or 71, uh, that went into Egypt. God brings a famine in the land. We know that Joseph had been sold uh, to the caverns that, that would come by, and they took him in and eventually was sold to Egypt. But yet God had a purpose there. And God begins to build his nation. For 400 years, they built the nation. They lived in the land of Goshen. God was blessing, and yet here's Abraham. How do I understand all this? Notice in verse 7, and, and the nation to whom uh, they will be in bondage, I will judge them, speaking about uh, the Egyptians. And, he, and said God, and after that they shall come out and to serve me in this place. Did God know the plight of Israel? The hardship, the pain there in Egypt, obviously he did. And he was preparing a man by the name of Moses. Many times we don't understand. I know I don't. I don't understand completely the plans of God. In my life, and what about your life? What about in the life of the nation of Israel? Right now, I don't understand the plans of the nation of the United States of America. Lord, where do we stand? I know God has blessed our nation, and I know that God continues to desire to bless our nation. As long as the church is here, our nation is still being blessed. But unless there's a revival, unless there's those that are going to come before the Lord and bend in knees and lifted up hearts, a judgment is coming, like it or not. In verse 8, he continues in, he gave him uh, the covenant. 
uh, speaking about Abraham back in Genesis chapter 17. The covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and, and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob. And Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. And all of those were circumcised. And basically we're seeing the history in a nutshell. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, so many times in Genesis chapter 17, uh, God said, I'll show you a sign. And he required the men to be circumcised. He required the children, uh, the male children, up on the, before the eighth day or on the eighth day, they were to be uh, circumcised. It was a sign. It was a sign to show you the separation from the heathen nations that did not partake of a circumcision. It's interesting when you read the passages concerning Moses, and he writes in the law, yes, God gave you circumcision, but it's the heart that needs to be circumcised. It's the heart that needs to be cut. And so many times we, uh, we want to partake of the ritual, the rite, the custom, uh, the tradition. Oh, the eighth day, let's get our son circumcised. Rightfully so. And there's nothing wrong with it. But what about the heart? All the apostles said the same thing. It's the heart that needs to be cut. The, cu the heart that's filled with, you know, envy and strife and jealousy. Callous. The heart is what needs to be cut. So now we come into uh, verse 9, and the patriarchs are in Egypt. Joseph is sold off to Egypt by his brothers, but yet God has a plan. And if you think of Joseph, eventually he ends up in prison. Potiphar's wife accuses him of seduction. and He should have been put to death, but Potiphar himself knew his wife. And so even God's plan to put him, place him in the dungeon. Interesting. And he goes to Egypt. He helps Egypt replenish all of the, the wheat and the, and the grain. Because a severe famine comes that causes Jacob to take his family to move. All this is in God's plan. Look at verse 9, and the patriarchs uh, became envious, and they sold off Joseph to Egypt, but God was with him. The 12 sons of Jacob sold off their little brother. You can study that in, in Genesis chapter 37. Uh, let's go on. And delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Through the trial, God used Joseph. And church, there had to have been times that Joseph was questioning, just like you questioned, just like I questioned. Lord, why is this? Lord, why is this now? I don't understand, Lord. I'm serving you. My brothers sell me off. Oh, there was a hatred. You go back, and they despised him because Jacob loved Joseph. He had a coat of many colors. And then Joseph used to jump around and parade that coat. And then he would interpret dreams. He would have these dreams and present them to his brothers. Oh, they hated him. Verse 11 says, now a famine 
a great trouble came over all the land uh, in Egypt and Canaan. And our fathers found no sustenance. And, and so Joseph is in Egypt for a reason. He fills the grain bins. In Genesis chapter uh, 41, it tells us that Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. Joseph uh, is given the authority. And now Potiphar uh, takes him in, and he makes Potiphar a rich man. But yet his wife comes in and tries to seduce him. He's taken into prison. And then Joseph has to deal uh, uh, with the butler and the baker. And again, he interprets dreams. But they forgot him. Lord, you give me this interpretation of dreams. I'm helping everybody. And what do I get out of it? I'm still incarcerated. In verse 13, and the second time Joseph was made known uh, to his brothers. <laughs> in verse 12, but when Jacob heard that there was no grain in Egypt because of the famine, he sent out his fathers first. Obviously, that's Joseph. Joseph was the youngest. Again, I forgot this in my notes. His brothers hated him. His brothers hated his coat of many colors. And his brothers hated his dreams. And yet God goes before Joseph. And again in verse 13, excuse me. And the second time Joseph was made known to his brothers. And Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. In the other hand, listen to this. Joseph held his hatred. I mean, when I was a kid, you were a kid, your brother did something, your, your sisters did something, uh, okay, I'm going to get you. You watch. There'll be a time, there'll be a place. You won't even know it. That wasn't Joseph. That wasn't Joseph. He loved his brothers, and we know he eventually uh, meets up with his dad. What a blessing. Uh, verse 13 goes on and on. Uh, he, he was made known to Pharaoh. In verse 14, then Joseph sent, and he called his father Jacob and, and all his relatives uh, to him. Uh, Seventy-five people. God is beginning to build the nation now. And eventually, after 400 years of bondage, we know in the great exodus, at least two to three million. At least two to three million. Yet they were taken uh, into bondage. It was 400 years. They were building a city for Egypt. The taskmasters were harsh. The taskmasters were taking lives. And yet God has a plan. And again, we go back to ourselves when we're in a trial. And we murmur and complain, because I do. And yet God has a plan. He's working these things out. Again, James tells us that he, he's building character and stamina and strength. He's building us. He's chipping away that old man, that old woman. And now he's building a nation here. Look at verse 15. So Jacob went out to Egypt, and he died there eventually. And our fathers, Deuteronomy chapter 10, gives us the insight that Jacob had passed away. We see Jacob fulfilled what God had for him. 
through Jacob, we know that the 12 tribes were born. And finally, the great exodus. But doesn't give us the insight here. What was Joseph? What did Joseph go through when he saw his father, Jacob, that is? See, Jacob thought he was dead. I mean, the brothers brought back the coat of many colors, remember? It was splashed up with blood. They took some goat's blood. And so he's, I lost my last son. But they get together. God has a plan, church. Look at verse 16. And they were carried back to Shechem, speaking of the forefathers, and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from his from the sons of Hamor. Uh, the son that he actually bought it from was Heth. And he purchased it for possession. Go back and, and study in Genesis chapter 50. And then also in, in Joshua chapter 24. Uh, we see in Genesis 50, this is where Jacob uh, is buried. We know that Abraham also and, and, and Sarah and Isaac, everything had a plan. And then Joshua later uh, in Joshua chapter 24, Joseph is buried there. And so these are the promises of God. And all these people believe God, listen, by faith, by faith, we will see these patriarchs when we get to heaven. And now the 2.3 million, the 2.2 to 3 million, there's variations of how many people, but there was a great number. 400 years of bondage. They've been crying out to the Lord. God sends a deliverer by the name of Moses. In verse 17, but when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and they multiplied in Egypt. And so the promise that was given to Abraham, the promise that was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the land of milk and honey, the covenant that was given to, to Abraham. Back in Genesis chapter 12, God keeps his promises. People ask, do you believe in the rapture of the church? Yes, I do. Do you believe it will happen in our time? I hope and pray that it does. But I can tell you that the rapture of the church will happen. And then if the rapture of the church is obviously going to happen, there has to be a seven years of tribulation. There has to be judgment on this world. And as we look and, and we see just the corruption in all the world, including our own country. God has to judge, and he will. And so now in verse 17, the caption in my Bible says, God delivers Israel by the hand of Moses. But when the time of the promise drew near, it had come. In verse 18, look how God has to get Joseph out of the way. Uh, till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This is speaking about the Pharaoh. Joseph's time is done. We're, we're speaking about Stephen here in Acts chapter 7. When his time is done, God will take him home. And so Joseph's time is done. We read that back in Genesis chapter 50. It says that in verse 26 that Joseph died at the age of 100. Now Exodus chapter 1, the new Pharaoh, and traditionally... Uh, he's called Ramses, and yet we don't really know because the Bible seems to be silent in this area. 
But yet God is going to use Moses. In a sense, Joseph's out of the way now. Moses comes into the picture. In verse 19, uh, this man dwelt this man dealt treacherously with our people, the nation of Israel, and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their children, their babies, and so that they might not live. Back in Exodus chapter 1, the taskmasters were cruel. They were vicious. They were mean. And they were building a city. And it wasn't without blood. Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. And so Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save. This was an edict that was given for the nation of Israel at this time. The Hebrews killed them all, the children, the male children. I want you to see the importance here because we're told that Moses' parents were disobedient, especially mom. She disobeyed the law, but she obeyed God, and she spared Moses. We know the story. He puts him in a basket, and he goes down the Nile, and it goes on here. Listen to this. In verse 20, at this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God. Underline that, please. He was well-pleasing to God. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. That's it. That is my desire. I hope it's your desire to be pleasing to the Lord. You realize that God knew us before he even formed us in our mother's womb. God knew you would be here this morning. God knew that I would be sent to New Mexico. God knew everything and, and everything in my life and in your life, the things that happen. Now, God comes in and he puts the gospel before you. God comes in, puts his son before you. He gives us his word. And if we take heed to what the word has to say, we receive Christ. We receive the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And then our life changes. And God is pleased with us. And then God wants to use us. Listen to Moses for three months. Three months. We were talking about John the Baptist serving the Lord for six months. And then his head comes off. Here's Moses. He's a baby. But the Pharaoh wants to kill all the male children. Notice in verse uh, 21, but when he was sent out, uh, Pharaoh's daughter, I like that, uh, took him in, took him away, and brought him up in her own house. Uh, bed, which is the mother of, of Moses, I want you to see the pain in her heart. Three-month-old child puts him in a, in a basket and sends him down the Nile. And God has a plan. Pharaoh's daughter takes him out. Listen to this. And Moses uh, was a learned man in all wisdom. He was learned in all wisdom and Egyptian of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in the words and deeds. It was impossible for a Hebrew slave uh, to get any kind of education. And so God has this man set up. Look at the heart change already. Now, after his education and such, helping to build the city, 
in verse 23, now when he was 40 years old, speaking about Moses, it came into his heart to visit the brethren, the children of Israel. This guy has position. He has clout. He has authority. He has wisdom. He's used mightily uh, by the Egyptians. And he's looked up to. But God has another task for him. In verse 24, listen to what Moses has to go through quickly. And seeing one of them suffering a, a wrong, he defended and he avenged him and was oppressed and he struck down the Egyptian. Why would Moses do this? Because God is placing love and compassion in his heart. And God is going to show him that he's a Hebrew. And so Moses, and I want you to see this, was it right? Was it wrong? He kills. He kills. Commits murder here in verse 25. For he supposed, this is Moses now, that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. But they did not understand. God is using Moses in his Hebrew mind, in his Hebrew heart, but yet he's still Egyptian. His ways are still Egyptian. Did he think to call upon the name of the Lord? We don't know, but he pleased God. In verse 26, and the next day, he appeared to uh, two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them and saying, men, uh, you are brethren, speaking to the Hebrews. Why do you wrong one another? Moses gets between them. This is an Egyptian. Should not happen. But he who did his neighbor wrong, listen to verse 27, uh, pushed him away, uh, saying, who made you ruler and judge over us? Go way ahead, 40 years in advance. God will make him a ruler. But not at this time. I love that. Is Moses trying to gain trust? Is Moses uh, trying to help God? Sometimes we do that. In verse 28, do you want to kill me? Notice the response. Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Moses was busted, wasn't he? And this has to be speaking to the religious sect also. Again, can I mention it? They haven't said a word. They are listening. And so verse 29 goes on. Uh, then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. He marries a woman by the name of Zipporah. Why would God allow Moses to be in Egypt for 40 years? Because he went to school. He was brought up. He was taught. He was given the wisdom of the world. And yet Moses has to go to Midian, and he has to be broken there for the next 40 years. Let me give you a little bit of background of Midian. Uh, the estimates of 280 miles plus this journey to reach Midian. Imagine this was done by foot. And so Moses traveled to the northwest corner of Saudi Arabia near the, the Gulf of Aqaba, 
possibly uh, at least uh, 7 to 12, maybe longer, doesn't tell us a day's journey. It's all desert. God sustains him. And he reaches Midian. Purpose. Plan. Have you ever been somewhere, gone somewhere, and you kind of question, what am I doing? Lord, I turned off the wrong way. I got off the wrong exit. And then you can't get back on, and, and yet I've learned when those things happen, I start asking, Lord, what do you want? Is there somebody I need to stop for? And you just never know. Could be somebody broken down. Could be you need to check your tires. There, there's a lot of possibilities. Or it could be your wife will tell you, you're lost. And that's usually the factor. Look at verse 30. And when 40 years had passed, this is in Midian now, uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, a messenger from God, uh, appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses is 80 years old. He's been tending sheep for 40 years. He was second to Pharaoh in Egypt. And now in Midian, he's a broken man. God speaks to him through the burning bush. What a beautiful text here. Look at verse 31 now. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him. What went through Moses' mind, his heart, his whole being? Was he thinking of God in the last 40 years? Was he thinking back when he was in Egypt? He's content now. He has a wife. He has children. He's living a good life. It's not the life in Egypt, but he's already past that. Now the burning bush. Now God wants to speak to him. And I love this next portion. Watch this. Out of verse 32 saying, I am the God of your fathers. The voice that came from the burning bush. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. The God of Jacob. And Moses trembled. And he dared not look. He dared not look up. Total reverence. Humility. What about fear? What about deep concern? I'm a dead man. He's before the presence of God. In verse 33, then the Lord said to him, Take off your, your sandals from your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Why? Because of the holiness of God. Because of the presence of God. The bottoms of your feet is what uh, go through the wilderness. The bottoms of your feet is what goes through all the trash and, and the garbage and, and just the, the things of this world. Take off your shoes for where you stand is holy ground. What a beautiful relationship here. In verse 34, I have surely uh, seen the oppression. This is God speaking to Moses. I've seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning. I have heard their cries. And I have come down, listen to this, to deliver them. Who was going to deliver them? Was it Moses? Moses uh, was the instrument. 
Moses was the tool. Moses was the servant that God was going to use. But it was God. It was God. I love that he says this. <laughs> I have heard their groanings. I have heard their cries. I have come down to deliver them. For now I come. I will send you to Egypt. So now he prepares him. But God heard. So many times we think, God, are you listening to me? God, do you see what I'm going through? Lord, you see the pain. Lord, I know what you're going to do, but the rent's due Friday. And doesn't God go before us? Doesn't God go before I, I can testify the last 30 plus years of not just ministry, but Mary and I's life. God has always gone before us. And I know you, some of you, God has gone before you. Oh, there's been times that who doesn't go through hardship and pain? Christians lose their homes. Christians lose their jobs. Christians get their vehicles taken away. I mean, the list goes on. Yet God said, he will never leave us nor forsake us. Uh, this is a beautiful picture of Moses, how God used him. But God had come down to deliver them. Then Moses, uh, this Moses, verse 35, whom they rejected saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? Uh, this is the one God sent uh, to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him uh, in the bush. <laughs> Back in Acts chapter 7, verse 2, he was called. He was called. And so just a beautiful place where he tells them, listen. And they've been very attentive through this time, and yet he's not done. We're, we're doing half the chapter uh, this morning. Notice now, the conclusion this morning, verse 36, he brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. In the book of Exodus, it's recorded the 10 plagues that God brought. <laughs> How God caused them to cross the Red Sea. How God held back the waters. How God brought forth uh, water from the rock. How he brought forth manna from heaven. So many blessings. And yet, many of them went back to idol worship that they had learned in Egypt. As we come to the half point, we want to look at the next point next week. When I was in shepherd school many years ago in California, I learned that God had prepared Moses, listen, for 80 years. He was used mightily by God in his last 40 years. And I want you to take heed to that this morning. You are never too old for God to use you. You are never too old for God to use you. When God was preparing me for the ministry, I was already 33 years old. And I had children. I had house payments. I had car payments. I had a job. I had a career ahead of me. And yet the Lord says, I want to I use you. And I looked around at our church. We had about 600 people at the time. And uh, there was a lot of young men, a lot younger than I, not married. Lord, use them. I always remember the life of Moses. 
the first 40 years of Moses' life, God has him in Egypt. He goes through all the schooling, gathers all the wisdom of the world. No, Moses, listen to this. In the first 40 years of his life, he became somebody. And then he kills an Egyptian. And he has to flee to Midian the next 40 years. Moses, with all this wisdom, all this knowledge, all this education, he's raising stinky sheep. That's what he does. And he's content eventually. He's married to Zipporah, has a couple of kids. And one day he sees the burning bush. What's that all about? It's interesting. It took 80 years to prepare Moses. And then God sends him out for the next 40 years. He was a somebody. Then he was a nobody. And then he was a servant of the Lord. Very important for me. And it should be very important for you. All this time that we're looking at these 36 verses, the Sanhedrin is there listening because the command was given in verse 2. Listen. And they did. God is not finished with him. God is not finished with you. Listen, I believe God's not finished with me. But yet he could take us home tomorrow. And that's why we're always prepared, always ready. Now, when we're up in age and we're in, you know, a rest home and tubes running in and out of us, well, we can almost say it's time and we prepare our hearts. But how many young people, how many middle-aged people are dying? Are they ready to meet Jesus? Some of you know my sister-in-law, she had put 25 years in the LAPD, retires. I think she received one retirement check. She went in the hospital. She never came out. She had a lot of plans. She was going to travel. She was going to do the things she hadn't been able to do. The Bible says there's an appointment for each and every one to die and then the judgment. We should never just prepare for retirement here. I'm not telling you not to retire. But we should prepare for the retirement in heaven. That's the one that counts. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the history lesson in the Old Testament, Lord. And Father, it's just so beautiful to watch uh, as uh, uh, Stephen, the first deacon of the church, the first uh, servant, chosen with these other six men, and, and yet he stands before the, the religious sect, and he doesn't hold back. And the amazing part is he knows his Old Testament uh, scriptures. And so, Father, we are so grateful, as Luke so beautifully included this for us. And so, Father, we pray for the body of Christ here uh, this morning, generally in the first service, uh, we see the church, we see the believers, they come, they partake. Uh, but Lord, we never know if there's anybody here this morning that has not made a commitment to Christ. Today is the day of your salvation. If you'd like to receive Jesus, raise your hand real quick, and I'll say a simple prayer of faith with you. Anybody here this morning?
Praise God, then let's pray. Father, thank you for the body of Christ, Lord. Bless them, anoint them, use them for your glory. Lord, there's plenty of studies that we have set up uh, throughout the week. Lord, cause the women to come, cause the men to come. All this to glorify you. I believe you've spoken to my heart, to the leadership heart. We need to get the word of God more out there because the times are changing. And so, Father, bless the services. Bless the offerings now as we gather them at the conclusion. As you've given us, we give back a portion. And it's in Jesus' name. And we all agree by saying amen.